Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. We exist to turn moments into movements. You're about to hear a life-changing message from our weekend experience. But before you do, we'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. All right, let's check out today's message. Now, I have to make a confession to you, and it's kind of an embarrassing confession. Okay, I'm going to let you know something that, that is actually quite, quite sad. I, I'm a pastor, and I love God. I live for God. I'm living for Jesus, and I do everything I can to make a difference for him. But God, and God has given me certain skill sets, right? There's certain gifts that I have. And one of the gifts I don't have is the gift of golf, Okay. I am not a good golf person. And it's funny because so many people in my profession, so many people as pastors love golf and they, they spend a lot of money and a lot of energy in golf and, and they go golfing and they, they play golf all the time. I, I'm just not wired like that. Okay. Like, like I am just way more want the adrenaline and, and I, they tell you that golf is, you know, for discipline and all those different things. And like you have one good game and it keeps you hooked. I don't get it. Okay. Like, when I go to a golf course, I get my money's worth because I'm going all over the place. The most fun I have on a golf course is actually driving the cart. Like that's the best part of going golfing. And I even have my full driver's license. I am not a good golfer. I'm not great at golf at all. But as a pastor, I keep being asked to go to golf tournaments. They, they think that I only work one day a week. So like you should be good at golf. That's how it should work, right? And I go to all these golf tournaments and I do horrible in them. They usually put me with some other pastors or some other people or whatever. And, and I'm just an embarrassment to be on the golf course. And, and, and they always kind of turn to me and be like, yeah, you know what? Like they're, the rules are we have to use two of your, one of your drives or two of your drives and two of your putts. And we're going to get those out of the way as quick as we can. Like, it's just bad. Well, I was getting tired of going to every golf tournament and losing in so many different golf tournaments and kind of being the, the butt of all the jokes. So. One year, there was a golf tournament happening at a golf course here in town, and, and I was a part of this golf tournament all the time, and, and it was kind of the typical, oh, yeah, here he is. So I actually entered a team, and it was so awesome because I found three ringers. It was the best. I found three guys who had season's passes to that golf course and played that specific golf course like two to three times a week. Like they knew that course, they knew the stuff, they knew everything about the list, and they golfed two to three times a week. And I begged those three guys to join my golf tournament, to join my golf team, so that I could actually step in. And we went in, I went from being in the second last place team the year before to that year. I took the tournament. It was so awesome. I was on the winning team. They only used two drives, two putts, and that's it. And they got those in the first four strokes. It's like, we're just going to let you do your thing and then we'll fix it afterwards. Right? Like it was, but I ended up coming all the way and winning the championship. I got the title. My picture was in like their, their little news thing that they do. I was actually one of the faces for the rest of the year because they had to promote that I won. It was awesome. Movement Church had won this golf tournament and it was great. And as the winner of the golf tournament, you got to go and choose prizes off the prize table. And I went up and I picked up my prize. And the prize I picked was a pair of Oakley sunglasses. I've always wanted a pair of Oakley sunglasses, but honestly, I just never had the money or the desire to spend that kind of cash on a pair of sunglasses. You know, up until this point in my life, sunglasses were something you bought at a gas station for about $15 and you went through about four a season, right? Because you kept losing them, scratching them, breaking them, whatever else. But there was a set of Oakleys sitting on the table. 
and I had won the golf tournament and I got to pick first prize. So I picked the very expensive, awesome sunglasses. Never even looked at them. I just saw the word Oakley and took it. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to pair of Oakley sunglasses. Now those glasses are awesome. I've had them now for about four years. The only thing is with those sunglasses is I didn't get to pick the shade of the lens. So these sunglasses are great. They're brown, but they have a weird tint to them. And in fact, every time I put them on, instead of actually blocking out the sun or making everything look normal, but just a little bit darker, they give everything a golden brown tint. The, the lens has this kind of golden brown film to it. And, and so now everything I look at on a bright sunny day is, is this golden brown film. And quite honestly, it's extremely frustrating. I wear them because they're Oakleys. I wear them because I like the shape of the glasses. I wear them because I look sexy in them. All right. That's how it is. That's what Amber tells me. Okay. But, but they actually frustrate me. So those glasses after four years, the lenses are scratched and I get this awesome opportunity that, that instead of buying a new set of Oakleys, there's actually a webpage where you can go and you can pick out new lenses. And I picked out a better tint because I've realized that the tint or the lens that you have that you see things through can actually affect your vision. I want to talk today about something. I want to talk today about how you and I, the lens in which we look through our lives at, the lens that we look through our everyday life, the lens we look through parenting at, the lens we look through homeschooling at, the lens we look through uh, our workplace, our coworkers, our neighbor, our house, our living life, the lens we look through actually affects who we are. And today I want to ask us if we will, if we will take a chance and if we will actually say, God, I want to see things the way you see things. I don't want to just take things for granted. I don't want to just see things through what is comfortable and easy. I don't want to just see it through my own frustration. Listen, we live in a day and age where we only see one perspective, right? I don't know about you, but I look at so much stuff that's happening and, and I only see from my thought processes or my perspectives and I, I don't understand the other person's perspective. I, I only see it in all of the stuff I read, all the articles I read, everything I look at, all feeds my perspective, all feeds my idea, all feeds the lens that I'm looking through stuff. And I want to ask today, would you and I be audacious enough to say, God, I want to pray a dangerous prayer. Now, I want to pray where I don't just look at stuff through what is just easy or simple or I've been trained to look at it like or take for granted. God, I want to pray that you would break my heart for the things that break yours. That I would see things not through my own eyes or own perspective or through my lens, but rather I'd see them from your perspective and through your lens. Now, listen, this, this is not a safe prayer. Now, I know we've been in the dangerous prayer sermon series, but, but this prayer is so dangerous to pray because this prayer has the ability to break our hearts. This prayer has the ability to change our mindsets. This prayer has the ability to transform and change the trajectory of our lives and the way we're going about it. Today's message is about asking God to open our eyes, to see people how God sees them and to break our heart for how God wants it broken, for the things that actually break his heart. This is not an easy prayer. This is not for the faint of heart. And I know lots of people listening are gonna be like, ah, 
time to switch the channel, time to do something different because this prayer is one that is difficult. It's hard. It doesn't fit our North American westernized Christianity of like, God bless me, take care of all my finances and give me the best parking spot I can find when I go somewhere. Park me nice and close. Get me through the the lineup uh, to get into a store quickly. It doesn't fit any of those prayers. It doesn't fit the favor ain't ain't fair prayers. It is a prayer that is so hard and so difficult to pray. And when you pray it, God answers it. It doesn't fill buildings. It doesn't create lots of hype, but it's a prayer that when God answers it can change everything. But when you pray it and God starts to do it, people aren't going to understand. Your friends and family are going to look at you and go, I don't get it. Why are you acting this way? Why are you being this way? Can I tell you something? When God starts to break your heart for the things that break his, and it starts to change your perspective, the way you see things, even other church folk aren't going to understand. People who go to church and live in church and attend church, they'll look at you and go, why are you being so extreme? Why are you being so intense? Why why are you living your life? Can't you just fit in with the rest of us? Can't you just kind of live at this level? They're not going to understand it. And not only is your family and friends not going to understand, not only are other churches going to understand, you know who else is going to understand? You. I don't understand when God breaks my heart why he puts these feelings. I don't understand sometimes some of the things that I do. I question sometimes going, God, are you really asking this of me? God, are you you really putting this burden? Is, is this really from you? Uh, you're going to question what you're doing. You're going to question why you're having this. You're going to question why you're wrestling like this. You're going to question all of these thoughts because it's, it's not natural to think this way. Everything in our life has pushed you and I to be comfortable. Hey, right? let's be honest. We live lives built around the idea of comfort. My wife and I have a trailer. We, we go camping. But listen, it's not camping the way most people do camping. Most people go camping and like, you pretend to be homeless for a week, right? Like you get a tent, you cook out of like beans and a can over an open fire. Like you, you do all this. No, 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 no. My, my, my camping, we have air conditioning. We have two TVs in our trailer, okay? Like two TVs with Netflix because heaven forbid we wouldn't have the internet when we go camping. That would be barbaric, all right? Like we like our comfort. I have a bed with a memory foam in my trailer that is so comfortable. You just sit in it and it hugs you and it's so nice, but it's also a cooled memory foam so I don't sweat too much in the, the heat. I'm a princess, I get it. But, but here's the reality. We have this life that is built around the idea of comfort. We work so hard Monday to Friday so that we can have a Saturday and Sunday, right? We, we work to increase our level of comfort. Our goal in life is to retire someday. I will retire when I'm 95, right? But, but we have this goal to retire because why? Because we want to live the high life. We want to live the comfortable life. But here's what I'm wrestling with today. And here's what I want to ask you. What if God's greatest blessings come from God's greatest breakings. Comfort has never stirred inside of me the desire to make a difference. Comfort has never pushed me to see brokenness and give my life for that. Comfort hides the reality of the world. 
comfort hides the reality of what God is doing. And I personally believe God wants to break our hearts, pull us out of comfort. Now, I'm not saying we have to live in poverty or we have to be woe is me every time we walk around and wear sackcloth and ashes. Like I'm, I'm not asking for that. But I am wondering if God wants to break our hearts because I've learned in my life that pain purifies, suffering strengthens, and it trains us and it teaches us to depend on God. In fact, I will tell you this. I challenge you to read the Bible. I even challenge you to look through history of men and women who did great things for the kingdom of God and find one that didn't go through a time of great brokenness. The reality is God uses broken people. And every great man or every great woman for God, whether it be biblical heroes, whether it be pastors you know, if you would sit down with them and talk with them, they will tell you of times in their life where they went through massive brokenness. Why? Because brokenness refines us. Brokenness aligns our focus. Brokenness brings back into perspective what really matters. And brokenness forces us to lean into God's presence. Listen, you know this to be true. You know in your own life that when you're in a time of comfort and blessing and ease, that your prayer life becomes diminished. Even though you have so much to thank God for, you're so comfortable that, that we forget to do it. But man, when we're in a spot of brokenness, when we're in a spot of need, you know that your prayer life increases. Your, your cry out to God. Why? Because pain brings us to a dependency on God. Listen, I want to talk for a second about people who pray, there's people who experience brokenness and how God used them to change lives. I just want to look at a few Bible characters. One is, is Moses, right? Moses is a classic story, right? Prince of Egypt, if, you're, if you grew up in the 90s, right? Like that's a classic one. Uh, or if you grew up before that, there's actually like the Ten Commandments, the classic movie. Right? It's a story that Hollywood has picked up on because it's a powerful story. And what it is is about this Hebrew boy who was rescued at a time that the, the Egyptian government had said were to kill off every Hebrew that is two years old and under. They need to be killed off. And this mom takes her baby and she's hit him for a season, but it's become too obnoxious. And so she takes him and she places him in a basket and sends him out to sea and he starts to drift away and and Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt's daughter, sees this Hebrew baby and takes compassion and brings this Moses, this baby, into her life and, and is actually given permission by the king to raise this Hebrew child up in the palace as one of her own. And so he grows up in the palace with all of the beautiful things that come with that and all of the riches and all the entitlement and all of that. But in that time, he had the opportunity to learn about his Hebrew roots. He learned about what was happening to the Hebrew people. And at this time in Egypt's history, they were being abusive to the Israelites. They were being abusive to these Hebrew people. And they treated them as slaves and they were beating them. And, and there comes a point where, where Moses is watching what's taking place to his Hebrew people and, and his heart is broken towards him. And he sees the slavery. He sees the pain that they're in. He sees the, the abuse that they're taking. And his anger and his brokenness rises up that he does something that is wrong. He fails in a massive way. He goes and in his anger and his brokenness, he turns and he murders an Egyptian to protect the Hebrew person. 
Now, that was not the best move. But Moses in that moment, his brokenness for the people stirred up something inside of him. He reacted wrong. In that wrongness, he runs away from Egypt. And over the next 40 years, God starts to move on his heart. And God takes that brokenness and God takes that burden that he had for his people. And he raises up a man who later, 40 years later, steps back into Egypt, stands before the king and declares with signs and wonders and these crazy plagues and says, let my people go. And God uses this man who had a brokenness for his people to be used as a voice piece of God to do signs and wonders and miracles that led to the freedom of the Hebrew people, that they got to walk in freedom and see God move, all because he became broken. David is another classic hero of the Old Testament. He's a classic hero, and in truth is, many people listening to this today would have at least heard of some story of David, and probably the most popular story that is used for all kinds of leadership teachings is the story of David and Goliath. And I want to pause and talk about this. David was this young boy at this point. He, he, he would have been a teenager, a young teenager. Right? So if you've got a, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old in your house, this is probably the age bracket that David was at in the story of David and Goliath. And David had grown up tending sheep, and David had grown up being a, a shepherd and a low, not really valuable, not really important person. But in those moments of being out in the field, David would play musical instruments and worship God and, and pray to God and experience God's presence. And one day while Israel is at war, David's father sends David to the front lines with bread and food for his brothers. And as he walks up to the front line, he's there when Goliath, this Philistine, this giant of a man, is standing at the bottom of a valley, screaming out to Israel, challenging them to a fight, and making fun of God. And the Bible teaches that David's heart broke in that moment. His heart broke for God. Saying, no one should defame my God like that. No one should say those blasphemous things. The God I love, the God who has rescued my life, the God who has done so much for me, we can't talk that way about God. We can't take his name in vain like that. And there was a love for God that when he heard that blasphemy, his heart became broken at what was going on. His heart also became broken at the negative things that the people of Israel were believing. Here was the men and women of God, trained warriors, no longer standing for righteousness, but instead they had let fear and, and, and what they saw in their own eyes stop them from doing what they were trained to do. And his heart broke for the Israel people. His heart broke for the fear and the anxiety that the people were walking in. And something rose up inside of him and that brokenness that said, no, 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 I can't sit by. And that's what a brokenness does. It takes us from seeing something that looks so brutal and it stirs up inside of us a God-given drive. says, no, no, I can't sit back and watch this any longer. Something has to happen. And if no one's going to do it, then God, through your power, I will step into that position. And David, a little tiny teenager, steps in to a king and to an army and says, I will stand and go and fight 
this Goliath, and he walks down that valley, picks up some stones, and takes aim at Goliath and knocks him out and cuts off his head and sets the people of Israel free. Friends, this is what a burden does. This is what happens when God breaks our heart. It rises us to occasion to say, no, no, something needs to be done. When you pray or prayer, this is God, let me see from your perspective. God, let me, let me walk with your brokenness. Break my heart from what breaks yours. It stirs us to action. Now, I know what you're saying, Jeff. That's Moses. That's David. Those are kind of like two of the biggest heroes of the faith, right? I want to talk to you about another guy that maybe you don't know of. Maybe you've never heard of. He, he's not a top 10 Bible character guy. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a king. He doesn't come from the priestly line. He doesn't come from the line of royalty. He's just a everyday average Joe like you and I. Just a normal person. In fact, so normal that he was a person who was taken by the Persian king into slavery, removed from his homeland when another army came in and destroyed their homeland. He was dragged into slavery. In slavery, he became a good leader. And and the Persian king noticed how good he was, that he raised him through the ranks. And he got a very cushioned job of being the king's cupbearer, which means this, he got lots of perks. He got to go to all the parties that the king went to. He got to be around all the food that the king got to eat. He got to see and rub shoulders with super influential people. And the only thing he had to do was before the king would take a drink of wine, he as a cupbearer would take a sip. And as long as that wine wasn't poisoned, it was a good day. He was just there to make sure the king lived. He had a great life and it was easy and it was comfortable. And he was doing better than most people in his position. But one day, he heard from family about his homeland, about Jerusalem, and the devastation and the brokenness that was there in Jerusalem. He had learned how the army had come in and destroyed the nation, tore down the walls, tore down the temple of God, God's house here on earth, and tore it down. And he learned how the people were coming out of exile, coming back to the land, and they had nowhere to go and nowhere to live, nowhere to worship their God. And God broke his heart. The Bible says he wept before the Lord because of it. And here he is broken, looking at the pain of his people, looking at the disregard for God. And he has this brokenness and a burden in his birth. And he says, no, no, no. God wants to rebuild his holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And he goes to the king who had every ability to kill him or ruin his life and says, would you send me to my people to go and help rebuild the walls and the temple? And not only does the king say yes, the king ends up paying for so much of the materials that actually built the wall and brings protection. And Nehemiah is this Old Testament hero that is not talked about a lot, who risked everything he had because God broke his heart to go and do something. When we pray prayers like this, when we ask God to break our hearts, to give us a burden, it has the ability and the power to change the world we live in. 
can I tell you, I, I have so many people email me and, and leaders talk to me about how do we have a church that operates the way we do? How is our church so creative? How is our church so young? How is our church so much fun? How do we do it? How do we get away? Lots of guys are like, how do you get away with doing all this stuff? My board would never let me. Well, we have a great board here. But I'll tell you how we got to where we are and why we do what we do. When I was here as my very first day as being the pastor of back then Calvary Church, I sat in my office and in my office, there is an L-shaped windows. So I can look out, you know, one way, two different ways and see out. And right at the end of our parking lot is a subdivision. And I sat there praying and I was praying over what God was doing and how I'm this new pastor and I'm supposed to have all this vision and all this idea and lead the, this church. And as I was praying about that and had all these kind of really exciting dreams, God just started to show me what was going on in the community right outside our window. God revealed to me just how statistically in Canada, only 3% of people claim to be followers of Christ. And 3% of the people outside that window knew Jesus, which meant that 97% didn't. I guess I would break my heart for the broken families. I guess I would break my heart for the poverty. I guess I would break my heart for people who are stuck in sin and the repetitiveness of, of, of addictions, for the broken marriages and and the people who are trying so hard to make a name for themselves or prove something for themselves. And all of a sudden, God started to put this burden on my heart right for the city of Woodstock. The reason why we have a church the way we do is because your pastor has experienced a brokenness for this city and for our nation and our province, for God to do something awesome. And it's put us in a spot that says, man, we want to do everything we can to see God move. Can I tell you, my heart breaks for those who are far from God. My heart breaks for those who have become religious and, and no longer walk in grace, but are comfortable just with the game of religion and have become judgmental. My heart breaks for those who become angry or those who become hurt or stuck. My heart breaks for those who are stuck in a world of evil where the horrible things are being projected and done on them. My heart breaks for racial divide. My heart breaks for the impoverished. My heart breaks for the disenfranchised. My heart breaks for people who are stuck because of a, their race or their, their gender or their sexuality at a certain level. My heart breaks for those who are broken. And because of that, we've done as the church and said, no, we will do everything we can short of sinning to let people know that there's a God that loves them and a God that cares for them. We'll change everything from the name of the church to the style of the church, the clothes we wear, the music we sing, the lights we turn on all of that stuff, the outreaches we do, the stuff we send our money to, because we care so much that there's people who are hurting and God has broken your pastor's heart. Listen, I've got a good family that I love and all my kids love Jesus and my wife is on staff with me. I've got great friends and great support people around me who stand with me and, and pray with me and encourage me. I've got stability in my life that I'm so blessed to have, but I still wake up every morning with this weight. I still wake up every this morning with this angst of frustration. I still wake up every morning with this, this burden that says there is good people dying without the knowledge of Jesus. There's good people struggling in their lives with brokenness and sin, living below their potential. And I want to do everything I can to make a difference. Because I said a prayer, God, help me to see things the way you see things. God, 
break my heart for what breaks yours. You see, I believe with everything I have, it's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. I wouldn't want to live my life any other way. Do I want luxury? Of course I want luxury. Am I blessed? Very. But I put my head on my pillow every night knowing I'm living my life on purpose for a purpose. Knowing that I'm living my life, knowing that, that maybe I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. I want to see the whole city of Woodstock, the whole province of Ontario, the whole nation of Canada living for Jesus and making a difference for him. So I haven't accomplished it. There's still the weight. But I go to bed knowing, God, I'm living on purpose for a purpose. I'm making a difference to the best I possibly can. That my life isn't just about gaining and collecting and getting, but my life is about giving, sacrificing, and investing in people's lives to see God's name lifted high. So let me ask you this question. What would happen if you and I prayed for God to break our hearts for what breaks his every day this week? Just the next seven days, what would take place? What would happen if we said that? What would happen if a movement of people decided not to gather around TVs because we like the music, not to gather around uh, in, in large gatherings because we like the atmosphere, not because we like the way Pastor John sings a song or the worship team or movement worship is so good. What would happen if a group of people, a movement of people rose up and said, no, 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 I want to live my life on purpose and for a purpose. And God, I want to not see things the way I've always seen them, the way it's always comfortable. But I want to see them, God, the way you see them. And God, I want you to break my heart for what breaks yours. What could take place? Do you believe possibly we could conquer racism? Do you believe possibly we could conquer inequality if our heart was broken? For people the way God's heart is broken? Maybe, maybe God would raise one of us up to end human trafficking. Maybe God would give us ministry ideas of how to end hunger. Maybe God would stir inside somebody the, the dream, the, the possibility of how we can bring clean water to people. That, that there's literally kids dying just because they don't have access to clean water right here in Canada. Maybe God would raise up ministries out of movement church that would say, we're going to solve that. We're going to fix that. Maybe we can bring education to those who, who don't have access to education all around the world. Maybe we can help people who are dealing with mental health, who feel so rejected and feel like there's nowhere to turn and feel like there, there's no hope for them. Maybe God would break your heart for those who are struggling with mental health and give you a ministry of love and service of helping. Maybe God would break your heart for those who are struggled on drugs and addicted or those who are addicted to porn and are stuck in a constant circle of, uh, uh, of porn and, and brokenness. Maybe God would break your heart for homelessness. And here's what I know. I know that if you and I would choose to step away from comfortable, safe prayers, God bless my day, take care of my family, protect my kids, to God, let me see the world the way you see it. Break my heart for what breaks your heart. I believe God could rise up some world changers that could make a difference here and around them. 
Listen, if you're watching today and you stuck it out this far, thank you for staying with me this long because this is a dangerous prayer. I want to encourage you today to join me on this journey for the next seven days to pray that prayer, to let God really start to break your heart. I don't know what he's going to show you, but what I do know is if you will do it, God will move and he will use you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you right now in this moment, Lord Jesus, you are going to do some real work. God, I pray that you break our hearts. God, you're not asking us to walk in poverty. You're not asking us to give up everything. You're not asking us to abandon comfort. But you are asking us to live our lives beyond ourselves. You're asking us to walk in obedience to you. You're asking us to see things differently than how we've been trained our entire life to see. You're asking us, God, to believe for the things you believe. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would rise up some amazing stories out of this church. God, I pray you'd rise up people who are going to become small group leaders so they can lead men to freedom. I pray, God, you're going to rise up people who are going to become watch party hosts so they can read their, lead their communities to you, their subdivisions or their families. God, you're going to rise up ministries that we've never even thought of before, that you're going to birth in this week, Lord, as we surrender our lives to you. And we pray one of the most dangerous prayers we can pray. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Put a burden in us that changes the trajectory of our lives forever. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our experience today. If you've had your life impacted by this word, would you share it with someone that you feel like needs to hear it today? Remember to like, subscribe, and share. Your life is a movement.